I am Brad Levitt, host and founder of A Finer Touch Construction, and we're super excited to bring this amazing guest list to you of people that specialize in business, marketing, social media, entrepreneurship, and most of all, how to build a great company. AFT Construction is a local commercial and residential general contractor located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and we are continuously seeking ways to bring value to our industry clients and network. You can subscribe to us on any major listening directory by searching the AFT Construction Podcast. And of course, a big thanks to our sponsor, Sub-Zero Group Southwest. So if you're starting a new kitchen project, the Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove showroom is the place to start. It provides an immersive environment to help you realize the possibilities of your future kitchen. Discover what it may feel like, look like, taste like, all in an exploratory, no-pressure showroom. No matter who you are, consumer, owner, or member of the trade community, the showroom is ready to assist you throughout your entire project. I visit the Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove showroom in North Scottsdale quite often. In fact, it's just around the corner from my office, so it's the perfect place to meet with my clients and the designer on the project. When we arrive, we meet with the showroom consultant whose sole focus is catering the visit to our needs. They seek to understand what products may be best suited for the client and then explain and demonstrate special features and functionality. We can browse the complete line of Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove appliances and then view them in beautifully designed vignettes, helping my clients envision how the appliances might look like in their home. The best part is that the consumers can interact with the products. They can turn the knobs, open the drawers, and ignite the flames, discovering the best fit for them. With the help of the showroom consultant, each visit is truly unique to the client. The relationship with the showroom does not end with the appliance selection process. Throughout the entire project, the showroom team is there to provide helpful solutions and offer advice and assistance. After appliances are installed, owners can expect a lifetime of support and helpful resources. The Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove showroom is the place to start, experience, and bring your visions to life. Schedule an appointment at your nearest showroom by visiting www dot subzero dash wolf dot com backslash showroom so today on the podcast we feature lisa j wood with lisa wood interiors out of Asheville, north carolina and lisa was great we brought her on she is a clip a certified living in place uh specialist and really shared some great insight just understanding again that living in place and how important it is and the value of having a designer early on in the project and we really dive into just the networking of social media and how we can balance budget and expectations with client. And, and more importantly, when you think about the value of design, it's not just an investment, but it's also an investment in your health, right? And your happiness and the day-to-day -day living with an ergonomic design. So you'll enjoy this episode with her and a little background on Lisa. She's on a mission to elevate the way homes are built and created uh, with new standards. She's trained as an interior designer and has a unique 20 plus year background in communications project management, team building, corporate sales, leadership, business development, and innovative design solutions. So again, she's a mom of three from Asheville, North Carolina, and again, has so much to offer. So you'll love this episode. So welcome today to Construction Podcast. And today we're very fortunate to have on Lisa Wood, who is the principal of Lisa J. Wood Interiors. So welcome, Lisa. Thank you, Brad. Thank you. Well, we're excited to have you, and I know you have a lot to offer us today that we're going to dive into. And my first question for you, because we work with designers exclusively on all of our projects, you know, that's kind of one of our staples as a builder, you know, so from your aspect, Lisa, from the designer side, what is it that makes, you know, a design or a builder, a good asset to the designer? You know, what can we do to better that relationship and, and better the process with our designers? Honestly, I think that the luxury market of construction is very different than what most people are experiencing because you've got this massive, you know, a larger pool of builders that are building at the 
spec home or track home phase. And they don't necessarily embrace that relationship with designers as much. And I think that it could greatly improve there. Um, I also think it's, it's about that education. I think more designers could go to those spec builders and establish those relationships to make it more cohesive. Um, I found that through even my own experience with my dad, um, who I'll be helping with on a commercial project, his, his first commercial building that he's going to build, is my grandmother was a designer. And so my dad, I think, is stuck in this mindset that the designer comes in at the end to make everything look pretty. or to pick the <laughs> Like finishes. a decorator. Yeah, yeah, like a decorator. Or pick the finishes. You get to pick out these are your colors that you can work with. And, and that's about it. And it's it goes so much much deeper nowadays you know there's so much more involved especially for designers that get involved at the structural level and if you start that relationship on the front end the value is so much greater in the end that's interesting i, I think there's a good classification there that you kind of teed that up because you know in the luxury market it's very adaptive to having a high-end designer and a builder and usually that re relationship for the most part at least my understanding is pretty good but I do get feedback from a lot of designers, uh, you know, like, hey, Brad, I'm trying to figure out how to build this relationship with the contractor, and it's really difficult, and kind of to your point, and I think part of that is maybe if they're a spec builder or a production builder, and it's not so prevalent to have a designer on the project, so they're not really sure how to pass that baton, right, or the scope of work or who defines what, you know, and I look at it this way. I mean, for us, if we have a designer on the beginning of the project, they're going to give us insight on even architectural things, right? They're going to look at layouts. And I know we're going to dive into this in our conversation, just, you know, aging in place and other things that are really important that I may not be thinking of as the builder. Right. Right. And I think it also is important to establish the relationship with the developer too. Um, Cause sometimes that's like the first step. I've just recently had a meeting with a company out here, a friend of mine who's going to be developing some land. And he then fed me to the new COO. I think that's his title. And um, who doesn't have any cons any construction experience whatsoever. And so he's asking me about this process and how would I fit into the group of, of designing, helping to design these homes. This is actually, which I'm very excited about. I hope that it all pans out because being able to get in on the front end for a production builder and creating this home and starting to establish it based on these certain principles, I think will make if we get one done here, then it wouldn't start rolling out for others. But it's, you know, I think you've got to go approach the, the, the developers, the builders, the even the architects, and just really to find at least one core group who might be open to, to taking a run with it and creating that team effort and, and building just starting to build that, that awareness in the, in the relationships there. So, it's, so it's how does that work? I mean, if you're, I guess it's two parts of this question. So one is, you know, if you're working with the operating officer that doesn't really have a lot of construction experience, you know, how do you pitch your value to make that relationship work and showcase what your scope of work and why you're valuable to the team and project. And then second fold, when you're working with the production builder, you know, are you just designing their spec homes or model homes, you know, six, seven of their models, or does it go further into actually working with clients as well in the production market? Yeah, I think, I think starting out, it's, it's helping with the basic structure of the home. Uh, for me, that's what this project would entail is where I get to bring my expertise of, 
of the whole, you know, my passion for the Living in Place Institute, being able to bring that forth, put that into the home. So we're able to start, start from the ground up and then that add on service if they want um, the, the turn, the, if the client wants the turnkey fluff, so to speak, then that can be added to it. But my, my belief is that if we can elevate the building codes, elevate what is considered standard in our industry and make it better. I think design, good design really should be inclusive and not exclusive. You know, the luxury market, you've got these certain clients that have those budgets, but the mass majority doesn't know that there's certain elements in their home. If it was designed with these certain things that then they could live more comfortably for longer periods of time or have more people come in and stay within their homes and be comfortable as well. And it's just creating a much healthier environment all the way around. I love that you said that because it's funny. I had Mark LaLiberté on, you know, and he's a building science expert a few episodes ago. And he was the same way that, you know, you have the building code, but we need to be taking it a step further as builders, right? To build homes that are just better built, better, you know, energy efficient and sound efficient and healthy, especially now with COVID, of course, you know, that's even more impactful. But, you know, how are we kind of up in the game you know, for our clients and educating them, you know, on these different platforms and social media has been great for that. But going back to, you know, our conversation here, Lisa, when you talked about that there's little things that we can do, you know, design with certain things, what are some of those things that would affect the day-to-day living of the client that they may or may not even realize or be thinking of? Well, you're out in Arizona, so it's a lot easier for you to go with zero-step entry homes. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're in the mountains. And so the topography out here is quite different. Um, But things like the interior doors, if all interior doors are 36 inches wide. Um, And that's beneficial not only to somebody who's aging, but it's also beneficial to a young mom with a baby on her hip and a grocery sack in the other hand, Mm -hmm. you know, getting through. Having wider hallways, if they're all 48 inches wide, at least, and, and then also even the thought of where, of why, why can't we raise the electrical outlets in the walls to be at 18 inches to 20 inches so you don't have to bend down as far. You know, things like that, that it's not, it's not changing really anything. It's just relocating them a little bit. And if you actually have homes that have fewer hallways, you can actually maximize on the space because you don't have all that dead space in the hallways. So it's thinking through how can we move from room to room to room, still give that privacy where we need it, but having that, the function, um, the livability in a home. And especially when we, you start looking at all these families and it's not just about aging, but now you've got multi-generational because we're, we're one. I have one college kid that had to come, come back, you know, yep. and switch gears for a little bit. Um, it's, there's so much to think about and it's, it's really, it's very simple. I'm just blown away at some of these builders. I'm working on a project now and this developer, I know the developer, I don't know him personally, but I, I, from what I'm seeing, it's all about speed because we got, everything got slowed down with, with what's going on in the world. And then the delays on materials and, and rain, we had a lot of rain this summer. So all that plays into it, but the, between the developer trying to speed these things through so he can max out his profit and then the builder who I come in and say, okay, well, I was still, I came in right when it was still just studs and start making some of these suggestions. Oh, we can't do that. Well, that's not how it's done. That's not in our plan. 
not possible. And it's just this no, no, no with the fact that, oh, well, if you do want this, this is how much it's going to cost. And it doesn't, it doesn't need to be that way. You know, it's just, it's having those conversations. That's why the having the conversations up front is so important. I so important. And I think spec builders need that more, more so than ever now. I love that you share that, Lisa, because I, you know, it's, it's a really tough balance because we understand that all of us are in business to make a profit and sustain, you know, our families and lifestyles and whatever else. But, but there is a fine line there of what, you know, what, you know, the profit isn't born, but at the same time, what are we doing to better the project or the home for future generations? And as you mentioned, I mean, something that drives me crazy is the same thing, like doors that are really narrow, hallways that are narrow. And, and as you mentioned, you know, maybe a mom with a young baby and groceries walking in or, you know, elderly aging in place or even just moving in furniture, right? It's, there's nothing worse yeah. than moving in furniture and trying to get a couch around a corner if there's no space or through a doorway, you know, or having to take a table apart because you can't fit it through. And, and so I think those are important conversations to think about, you know, just the lifestyle that's going to happen after you finish the design in home. Well, I recently just did a talk to, to a group of realtors and how important would it be to have that relationship include the realtor? Um, you know, my thought is how about when you are selling a home and because we're from Texas, so, you know, back in Dallas, and you may know this, this term house poor out mm -hmm. there in Arizona as well. Mm -hmm. yep. uh, there's a lot of house poor people, you know, and all these young couples were building these massive, well, not mass, not mansions, but big homes for them, for two people or, and, and one child. And they, they couldn't afford to furnish their home. And so out here in where we live in Asheville, it's a very desirable place to live. People want to come here for the climate and the beauty, but there's not a lot of industry. So the housing prices are just going up, 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 and you get less for your money. And so they're buying at the top of their bracket, but now they're going to have to settle in a home where they can't make any modifications because they've just blown their whole wad. And so I was talking to these realtors. I said, what if, what if we, we formed you know, strategic partnerships to where you bring in somebody like a designer or um, you've got a contractor where you can come in together as a team and say, okay, really, what, what is your purpose? You know, what's your ultimate goal with this home? And then think through a bigger picture in a scenario, because I'm just, when you look at some of how these homes are built and you know that they need to have these changes made for, for a livability standpoint, rather than having to react to it, if we can be proactive with it, what a beautiful thing life is. But unfortunately, we're dealing with a lot of homes that already exist and, and so few are actually built with these, what might be considered a luxury feature of wide doorways and wide hallways that, you know, if they've already bought at the top of their bracket, how are they gonna be able to make these modifications? And then they just won't get done because it's not a priority. And it's tough. That's a tough balance. I mean, we're seeing that in our market too, especially now with COVID. I mean, the reality is you have a lot of people flooding the market coming in from California and the Midwest, you know, colder climates or maybe climate, you know, areas where they're shut down. So they want a little more freedom, you know, out here. And, um, and so we're seeing that influx, which drives prices up and it makes it more difficult, you know, if you're locked and, you know, but going back to, you know, your mention of a realtor, I think that's really smart. And, I've seen projects and I know, you know, we don't do a lot of specs, you know, as a builder myself in our past, we've done two total, you know, and we're 95% build the suit for our clients. But in both instances, we did have a realtor present 
And it was really good. I mean, if you have a realtor present in those design meetings with your designer, with your builder, or with your architect, it's valuable because they see what's selling, what people are wanting and asking for. And I think that's one element that we don't talk about enough in the building industry is including the realtor, right? Because they have so much to offer from what they're seeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I mean, think about how powerful that would be as a team. If you're going in and you say, okay, you're talking to a young couple and they say, I've got $300,000 to spend. Well, don't go show them a $300,000 house if it's going to be a, a reno. You know, why don't you step back and say, okay, what if you want, if you went a little bit less, you could do more within, you know, to really personalize it. And it's just, I just think it would be such a win all the way around um, in so many ways, but I don't know if everybody's mindset is there, you know, from a, a professional standpoint, they, they might be, I want the bigger commission or. Yeah. You know. And that's the thing, again, going back to the profit side, you're trying to balance these things where 250,000 does put the client in a better position because now they have 50,000 to remodel and upgrade and do some of these things. But you know, it's, you know, it's always that difficult conversation because you have to find something with good bones to do that. And the realtor is going to have to work in the best, you know, you know, best vision for the client and maybe not themselves, which they spend a lot of time too and a lot of work, you know, looking at homes and trying to find the right one. You know, there's a lot of time they put in as well. Mm-hmm. So, so from your side, Lisa, I guess, you know, going back to the aging in place, cause this is really valuable. And we did an episode on this, you know, not too long ago. I, you know, how do you work with, design as far as, you know, some clients, how do you work around maybe the visual pill of grab bars where it's so important to have those, but they may not want them because that's something you typically see, you know, maybe in a commercial environment and not so much a personal home. From personal experience, it's, um, it was interesting. My mom, rest her soul has, um, she was hospitalized for 10 years um, on and off. And I would go back to Texas to take care of her. And there was a point when they said she really should have a grab bar in her shower. And we had not planned for that. You know, we weren't ready for that part, but she would spend about a month, a year in the hospital. So she got pretty sick and tired of that institutional look. And I don't blame her for not wanting to have something like that in. So my, my uh, in-laws guided me towards the stick on kind of grab bar and um so I ran down to the Walgreens and I thought well we'll just give it a chance because she she was just so adamant she was so sick and tired of the way they looked and I'm so grateful that I got this this stick on because every time I put it on the tile it literally would fall off the wall and she had never touched it and thank god it fell off the wall because had she lost her balance and gone to use it yeah it would have been a nightmare and I was like, that, that's it. I took it back to Walgreens. I go, you need to take these things off the shelf. These are terrible. Gonna hurt somebody. <laughs> They're gonna hurt somebody. So, so it's um, so I've actually come across a line that of grab bars I think are so sleek and so attractive. And I've actually talked to Ben Rapp, national sales manager of Wing It. So a little plug for Wing It, Sarah, but they have some of the most attractive grab bars I've ever seen. Um, and that when you know that you can actually elevate the, the look of a room with something that doesn't look ugly because my whole motto is nobody ever needs to live in an ugly home <laughs> is that you know get a sleek sexy looking grab bar and call it a towel bar if you need to or something but um it's just it's amazing when I talk to clients and I've talked to friends and I've really encouraged them you know you guys need to think through this and think about having something like this because it doesn't matter how old you are you know here in the mountains a lot of people go hiking and you could slip and fall 
and have a bad you know, leg or hip for a while. And if you've got that stability built in place already, then you're, you're going to be much, you're going to be safer, but you're also going to have a lot of gratitude for the thought that you put forth to think, be proactive in your life about it. No, I love, yeah, I love that you share that because I, you know, as you were speaking about that, I'm thinking, you know, if there's companies that have decorative ones, because, you know, in a frameless shower, even, I mean, you're going to have a grab bar of some sort. And now there's a lot of decorative ones, you know, on brass and, you know, matte black and different things that, that look very, um, you know, look great for the design, like you'd see on a refrigerator, you know, a full height refrigerator pool, appliance pool. And so if you have this nice decorative shower hardware on your shower glass, that's frameless and full height, you know, floor to ceiling, why not be able to find a grab bar that now matches, you know, or looks like that, that is now not just this big silver round grab bar, like most of us think, you know, in like an 88 bathroom. Right. Right. Yeah. And there, there's some amazing ones out. Um, and the biggest thing is, is even if you find the right, you know, a, a, a grab bar that you like, the fastener is what's the key. I get really excited about what I learned about their fasteners. It's just, you know, the weight, you want to look for something that's weight rated. Um, make sure that some of these, some of the, like with wing, it sits everywhere from 300 to 800 pounds, I believe it is for weight rated products. So making sure I have my, one of my clients, cause Lisa, well, we don't weigh anywhere near that. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's not about how much you weigh, but it's the force it's falling and the force of falling. Yeah. yeah. You know, when you slip and go down, it's i uh, I've fallen pretty hard at times, <laughs> you know, come down my driveway, you know, so it's, uh, that impact can be, can take the wind out of you, you know? which is really tough. And, and, you know, you made the point as well, you know, when you talk about zero entry, you know, one thing that's difficult, you know, although a lot of our builds are in the Valley are flat, you know, I do hillside work as well. And one thing that's tough is how do we create a level floor plan, you know, on a hillside, right? Because there's some complications and, if you want it perfectly flat or one story, there's going to be a lot of expense, right? A lot of cut and fill into the hillside and retaining walls, you know, and then how do we uh, stage those that way? You know, it's not this one 12 foot face, right? That the HOA is not going to prove anyways. So, you know, there's some limitations there. You know, how often are you trying to work with the architect as far as laying out the house in a manner that's not only cost effective, but it's going to limit the amount of steps in the house? Well, here in the mountains, that's a challenge. <laughs> that would be a feat here. But, um, you know, I think it's it's looking at having those conversations early and really discussing, if you, especially if you know who you're building for. I mean, if you're not, if you don't know who's going to be living in the home, it's going to be very difficult to to make those asset, those correct assessments. But if you actually are knowing, having that conversation, everybody's working as a team, I think you have to ask more about, I think it's asking, you know, how do you want to live and function in the home, but also who's coming to your home? You know, what kind of family members, what kind of friends do you have over? How much do you entertain? What do you expect that to look like? And from a, a flow and function type of standpoint. And then if, you, if you're able to ask those types of questions, I think you're going to get better answers because I don't, most people, people aren't being asked that, you know, on the, on the, in the bigger pool of spec homes, they're not being asked about livability. It's more, it's more about, um, you know, how many square feet do you want? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I love that you said that because, you know, going back to realtor, when we were doing one of our homes, uh, with the realtor, one of the two, it was a hillside build, you know, it's, it's on a hillside. And so the realtor came in, they said, 
think about in zones, right? So as you mentioned, you know, asking those questions, Lisa, that they said, in this zone, we want the master suite. You know, we envision, you know, a couple living here. They may have kids that are out of the house, maybe not. So you have the master suite on the same level as the great room and as the kitchen. And then we have another wing that's elevated and that's, you know, the guest wing and then the entertainment wing. And so they, they, and the gym on a different one. So they had created the home and zone. So then that way they're trying to envision where the client's going to live most of their time and keep them on with minimal steps. Yeah. So smart. You know, I actually heard, heard, um, a fellow clip, um, graduate talk about people are living, they did the study and people are living in about 40% of their home. That's it. You know? So if you can get everything on one main level for the two main people or one main person that's living there, they're going to have a much more comfortable time and a healthier and safer time in their home than having to navigate all the steps. So yeah, I agree. Getting that, you know, the master, and I think that's becoming much more prevalent as in conversations through the construction of homes is keeping that master level on one, on the bottom floor. I actually have a friend who's a a physical therapist out here in town and they bought a new home to downsize and they literally converted one of the the bedrooms into a master suite. So eventually that will become their master suite and they don't have to navigate the stairs anymore. So I like the idea of if you're going to call it zones, it's smart. It's like cooking zones. Yeah, it is like cooking zones in the kitchen. Well, it's funny because I've even seen like with two-story homes, they'll, you know, I've seen a couple different methods. One, they'll have the master suite on the bottom floor, right? With the kitchen and entertaining area and the kids' rooms upstairs, you know, because the kids can go up and down. Or they almost do like a mini master. They'll do, you know, a mini master downstairs and then one upstairs. So they have the option that maybe if there is aging in place or the parents are living with them, it's almost like a modified guest casita or mother-in-law suite where they could stay down in the mini master and then the master suites up top. And so there's some different options there, you know, to look through. And I think it, you know, you're trying to do what's best for all people. As you said, it's multi-generational now. You see this happening mm-hmm. a lot with a lot of families that, you know, are occupying homes. And I think too, it would be so smart if builders and, and developers would think about, um, especially, you know, in, in the spec homes is if you have a two-story house and you know, you're going to go with two-story house, then stack the closets mm-hmm. and make them big enough to where you could convert them to an elevator. Yep. Because I had a, I did a presentation for a group of people and they were in a 55 plus community. And this woman, we were talking about all these, you know, features that you could do in the home and all these modifications and whatnot. And, and they were ooing and eyeing. And so we started talking about, oh, elevators. And she said, well, we had one. And I said, oh, well, what a blessing that must have been when you needed it. And she said, well, it was really it didn't work because her husband, um, they put this elevator in and he had a health issue and they had to call the, the paramedics and the paramedics came. Well, they couldn't get the gurney in the elevator and they couldn't get a wheelchair in the elevator because it didn't fit. And, and I said, what did you do? And she said, I put him in a chair and I slid the chair into the elevator and that's what we got him down. And I thought, oh my gosh, how sad. They went to the expense, somebody went to the expense of actually installing an elevator into a home and they couldn't get somebody out when they needed to. It's not very smart. Yeah. <laughs> what a waste of money. Yeah. I mean, you want to make sure if you're putting an elevator that's big enough. And and I love that, that thought because, you know, there was a home we built a few years ago and the clients, you know, they said at some point we want to have an elevator. And I think that's good practice that if on a two level 
uh, no matter the price range, whether it be a production home or custom home, it doesn't matter. But if you line up the linen closet, you know, between the two floors and you create it as like an elevator shaft, and then you just frame in the floor later, you know, now, you know, that floor is easy to remove and you have the full elevator shaft. And so I've seen that very common with architecture with the potential to have an elevator or, you know, maybe they have a laundry chute, you know, between the first and second floor or possibly going back to the two masters where the downstairs master may have pre-plumb for, because it's not very expensive for a spec builder, to pre-plumb for a washer dryer, like a stackable washer dryer, and then you have the laundry room upstairs. So that way you're not carrying laundry up and down either, which is can be a nuisance for some folks, right? Right, right. Yeah, it's just it's just thinking through those little little things that can make a huge difference in a home. And then I think too, it's so it's so neat if you could. You know, I was telling these realtors, I said, imagine this. You know, picture this that you go in and you have these homes and they've been modified, or or the house originally was built to have these features. What a, a fantastic way for resale, you know, because I always think resale when I'm designing. Um, you know, even with people that say this is my forever home, I said, well, okay, you know, life happens. <laughs> you know, things can change in an instant. And so, but if you knew that these homes have these certain features, how how much more do you think that they're going to be sought after? Because there's just they're just not being built this way until we can change the way the industry is done and elevate these things to have to be common, commonplace, then um, I, you've got a really good market to a really great way to market your home. Well, they, they were excited about that. They hadn't really thought about it that way. I love that you share that that way because it's the angle too, right? It's it's phase two as far as, yeah, you may build this, maybe design and building the home for yourself, but you have to look at the resale. And what I've seen, because it's really easy to sit there and say from just a luxury standpoint, some of the homes I see where, okay, instead of a four-car garage, I'm going to do a six-car garage, which I know sounds excessive probably to a lot of people listening, but the reality is there's a market. You know, There's a lot of homes that have four-car garages, but not six, and so in that luxury market, if there's a six, it's going to go fast, You know, or like the multi-slider, indoor-outdoor living, and some of these features, but you also are cutting out part of your demographic, and especially baby boomers, another generation that's looking you know, at living in place. I mean, if you have some of these features that they know that this is a beautiful home that they can stay in, well, you're going to capture another audience, right? Because there's, you're just trying to open up that bucket a little bit more to more opportunity. Absolutely. And it's, it's interesting. There's a statistic out there that talks about the length of the average age of a home. And if it's been in an ex, in existence for a hundred years, on average, there's 10 owners per home. And so when you take, say a family of four, that's 40 people that lives in the home over 10 years. But then you start adding in all of their friends and family. And if they're big entertainers and they really have big families, thousands of people can cross that threshold. So imagine the lives that you impact just from making these, these, these changes, these, these small, small, it might be insignificant to a builder, but to the people that actually function in that home, uh, I was talking recently to a friend of mine who's a superintendent and he was moving his, he works for a commercial company and he was moving his parents into uh, a, an apartment. And I think his mom's in hospice, he had told me. And, and we were talking about like the location of outlets and if they were higher. He goes, you know, Lisa, I never even thought about that. He goes, I've got a bad back. And, you know, he's in his forties. So it's, it's just, it's just thought. You know, it's thought and becoming aware of, of with the amount of people that are becoming baby boomers. Um, 
I think they said in 10 years, there's going to be, I forget how many people 65 and up. <laughs> I won't be far off that. And so, <laughs> it's, you know, I, everybody wants to live comfortably. You know, everybody should live comfortably. Everybody they should. should. So how do you match, I guess, the thought of living comfortable? And as you mentioned, you know, no one should have an ugly design. Everyone should have a beautiful design. <laughs> So now it's the question, well, Brad, you know, I can't afford a designer. It's not my budget. Or, you know, how, you know, if I have a designer, it's going to be too expensive. So how do you balance, you know, good design, you know, a good home that's livable and still, you know, have a designer, right? Which is so key to make this all work. You know, I think going back to the, the actual design plan and design and build of the home. If the designer is then involved in the front and we and those conversations are had about how to actually improve the, the final construction, the final product, um, that's one, one way a designer could be involved. Then if somebody can't afford to have the turnkey services of a designer, they can go out and, and hire a designer for just a consultation. Um, you know, short, short packages, a lot of designers are offering packages nowadays. Um, and, it, and it's working well. And people are able to have that expert advice without making that big financial commitment. And if they want to DIY the rest of it themselves, at least they can get that guidance and have, have a kind of a roadmap, so to speak. Um, there's so many ways to, to work with somebody. I, I've actually laughed because I would donate my time to a school auction that I would chair and nobody would bid on my service, on my offer. And I'd just be like the ugly stepchild out there. That nobody <laughs> wanted. And I, and I actually talked to my girlfriends. I said, well, how come, you know, does this not interest you in having a designer come to your home? And they go, oh, we would not want you in our homes. You'd be too embarrassed. And I thought, oh, isn't that interesting? They would be embarrassed. And I go, hmm, I never thought about that. So if you, if somebody's able to go and just buy a small package of time, you know, just to get that little bit of help, it's, it's amazing. And it doesn't require a lot. It's not rocket science, you know? <laughs> no, I love that you shared that. And it's true because it's understanding the customer's desire, right? And there may be some people at that, I don't want to say entry level, but at that level where, they may be embarrassed of some of the furnishings or existing house. And so to have someone in there, you know, there's some, you know, it's hard for them to take the plunge, if you will. But I love some of these insights you shared because, you know, the luxury market speaks for itself. You know, a lot of people understand the value of good design, you know, when you're working on a big home and there's a lot of features. But as you mentioned, if you're working with a production builder or developer getting in, you can get in and we'll start working with them on the layout and the design and the architecture, probably an element that they're not looking at that will help the end sell of their product or, you know, I had Kathleen Anderson on, you know, on the podcast a while ago, and she, you know, to fit this need for like spec builders and production builders and even entry-level clients, she had these packages, right, where you can go on and, you know, I think like $750, you go on and you buy a full design packet for your house. It already has everything selected. And so there are, you know, with social media and Instagram and other things, there's a lot of options out there where you yourself, Lisa, can provide, you know, phase one, two, three for different clients to meet the, the needs that they have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a girlfriend call me. She said I, they were building a new home down in Florida. And I said, uh, and she goes, Lisa, do I need to, they want me to hire this designer to help us get this finished. <laughs> Should I do it? Is it worth it? And I said, yeah, Karen, it's worth it. <laughs> 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 so, 
I go, you'll be glad in the end. I said, if not, it gets all piecemealed and then you go, oh, <laughs> you know. So it's, uh, I said, it doesn't have to cost a lot of money. It really doesn't, it, but it is, it's amazing. There is such truth and they're really pointing it out nowadays that the health benefits that people get from a well-designed space, it is, it is scientifically proven that people can heal and and reduce anxiety and and have more joy in life when they are in a space that makes them feel good and i think it's it really comes down to more education which is is why i bit the bullet and started a youtube channel is to try to get this information out to people because it doesn't need nobody needs to be embarrassed nobody needs to feel scared to to work with somebody that does what I do. It's just, it's, it is available. Somebody is available for anybody at any stage of life. And it, it is amazing though, that the true health benefits that come from a well-designed space. I, I seriously love that you said that Lisa and, and spoke about that because I don't think we speak about that enough. And that's something, you know, when I'm defending my designers, if you will, to my clients, why they need to hire design, you know, it's really easy to look at, well, as a builder, I want you to like me by the end of the project. And if we have a designer, you're going to like me because, you know, I don't have to pester you throughout the process. And not only that, but everything's going to flow and there's going to be good communication and everything's going to work, right? Because the designer really understands, you know, construction and architecture and design. And so those elements are easy. But I think the one thing that we miss is you said this. I mean, Shay with Studio McGee said this on the podcast. She's like, what people don't realize if you have a good designer, like your home is healthy, your home relieves anxiety, right? It brings happiness and how much, you know, in the, in the chaos it is today with politics and COVID and stress and budgets and everything else we deal with on a regular basis to come home to your little sanctuary and have something that makes you feel good, that makes you love the layout and it's pretty and looks great and convenient and healthy, as you mentioned. I mean, there's, these are such great things that really, you know, become a, a place of sanctity. I mean, it's just a great place to come and relax and, and unwind from the day. Yeah. And it's funny. My grandmother was an interior designer and she started in the seventies. She was, um, I think my grandfather had passed away at this point. And so she went out and at some point decided she wanted to go learn how to do floral design. So she took a floral design class and that launched her into interior design. She was one of the founding members with ASID and, um, wow. uh, and then she, this house, I still have the magazine of, of where she was featured. And I flipped it open not too long ago. And at one of my favorite rooms in her home was this little back enclosed patio. And I didn't, I couldn't tell you then why I thought it was so neat. But now I look back and I went, oh my gosh, she was into biophilic design before biophilic design was a thing, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and this massive tree was growing up through and it was, you know, enclosed around it and surrounded it. And it was just, it was, you were standing in nature while I got to play the pachinko machine, you know, and it was just this amazing little, a little, little space right off the back of the house. So it's just, it's so, it's so valuable. I think, I think it really just comes down to getting that word out to people and letting them know that it's, it's accessible to everybody, you know, and you don't have to go whole hog. Um, you can just do small little incremental things, but if the bones are done, you know, then the rest is, is easy. You know, it's getting that, that, that structure done. And that's where it's going to take 
designers, architects, builders, and developers coming together and having those conversations and getting out of this old stuck mindset that, oh, it's not possible or, oh, it's going to cost a lot of money because it's not, you know, that I came in on this one home I'm working on now and tried to get a zero step entry shower and they were going to charge me another 13 grand to make the change. And the slope of the way they were going to do the floor. And I'm looking at the builder like, oh, forget it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll step over the curb. Yeah. <laughs> because I got, that makes total no sense. <laughs> and so, and then this other project I'm doing on, the builder got so excited. He goes, yes, we're doing it. You know, so it's just, it's learning about what products are out there, what companies are out there. Because it's amazing it doesn't require what some of these builders think it used to require. You know, there's a lot of advancements in technology. Oh, there are. And and it's funny because, you know, it's easy for me as a builder where let's say the designer's 50,000. I, I can actually sell the client or help them understand that that $50,000 investment, I mean, we can make that back in, you know, time efficiency in the build, right? In a designer that really understands the product that's out there, the technology, so they can pick things that'll be, um, very productive for the client as far as wear and tear and sustainability and convenience and budget and all these things. I mean, I can sell that value, but let's just say all all of that aside, that if this was just a cost and there's no saving benefit, what are you willing to invest it to be happy and have that healthy, you know, sanctuary of a house, you know, and the, the values there. So going to the design side, and I love you that you shared this because one of the values of having a designer on early, I've seen how as a company, we've worked with our architects and every time we do a, sh uh, a house, all the showers, right? We depress the slab at the shower location. And the reason we do that at, at concrete stage is because now, you know, when we come in, we could build our mud pans, we could build it up. And so by the time we build up our waterproofing and mud pans and then put in the tile, it's a like zero entry. So every shower we do zero entry. Well, that's only because we depress the slab at pre-construction and it doesn't cost money to do it at that stage. As long as you know, you're doing that. That's why you got to have the designer. So Going back to that, you know, what is ergonomic design? I mean, this is another element to healthy living and having a happy home. So explain to us ergonomic, you know, design. Ergonomic design, basically, it's it's so simple. And the fact that it's just about how we function and live in a space. And I think it's, you know, it's been used so much in in, in the commercial world and workplace situations of, of where, how people stand and and function in whether they're standing or sitting or how much do they lift, you know, all for workplace safety. Well, you having to apply that to the home is so critical because when you are in the kitchen, for example, um, which who doesn't love a good kitchen is that you, if you, one of my fellow clip ambassadors, I loved it. And I, we're, everybody's stealing her phrase, but it's, so real quick, if, if I, and if I interrupt you before you answer this, so explain clip, yeah. cause you said that word. And I think some people won't even know what clip is. So clip is certified, certified living in place professional. And so I received that certification a couple of years ago and I'm an ambassador. I would have worn my tiara for you. <laughs> um, God, I picked it up sooner. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, the having that certification has allowed me to really get to know many, a lot more products that are out there, a lot more companies. We're getting a ton of education and, um, uh, and not only are designers getting CLIP certified, but also architects, builders, developers, and um, all of the trades. We have another certification that trades can go through and it's, it's wonderful because it's just creating that education and the awareness. And so 
um, but getting back to ergonomic design, it's, it's really how you function in a home. And so um, if you can keep a lot of like in a kitchen and in a bathroom, everything that you need to use between your knees and your nose in that range of your body, then you're going to be able to function better in the kitchen. So for example, my mixer is well below my knees <laughs> and it's a heavy mixer and it takes a lot of lifting to get that sucker up, you know? So if my kitchen was designed better to accommodate my mixer at a range of where it was it was safer and more comfortable to pull that out to use or, you know, in an appliance garage or something where I'm not having to lift it, it's so much, so much better. And so um, I would, was looking at one of my pet peeves is when I sit there and I, I you know, and I don't know if you're like this, Brad, but you go in other homes and you're like, oh, why'd they do that? Or, oh, that was bad, you know? <laughs> so um, when I, when you look at uh, the, 55 plus market my in-laws for example sold their home to downsize and moved into an apartment and my father they're in their 80s and they were very excited because he doesn't have to do yard work anymore and she was this was a huge shock to my mother-in-law because they went from I don't know 2,500 to 2,700 square feet down to less than a thousand and go into this apartment well I walk in of their artwork for me to hang because that was my job and so we get back to Texas and I walk in and I'm looking around and I thought oh my gosh who designed this right <laughs> who put this thing together um because the microwave over the range not good for people who are aging yeah um you know hard to reach no, hard to see lack of storage terrible you know the the color of the countertop material it was too high contrast so your aging eyes can't see if you misplaced one of your pills on the counter because you can't you know it's so it's so busy mm -hmm. um you know and it's just but it's really just learning how to make those drawers function better how to work your appliances better what's what kind of appliances would be the right fit for this particular space and there's so many options out there now and I don't think that you have to, to go bigger to get better functionality. I think it just needs to be thought out better um, because you can, you can really have an efficient space if, it's, if the planning is there, the planning and design. It's got to be at the front. And if you're going to make a modification, you got to start there and don't wing it. You know, <laughs> I mean, literally. Um, I had a girlfriend that bought a bunch of cabinets from Habitat from Huma her, from Humanity, for Humanity, and she got a really good deal on them. They all came out of a luxury home that had a leak in the in the roof, and they stripped there. It was like probably a hundred thousand dollar kitchen, and she picked up all the cabinets for two grand. And she said, "Is that a good deal?" And I go, "Yeah, that's a good deal, Jenna." <laughs> I, said, I said, "I said, but the trick is, is it's a puzzle. It's going to be a puzzle because it doesn't it wasn't designed for your house." And so she started on this kitchen reno and I, her daughter runs up to me and says, we started on our kitchen. And I said, you did what? And, <laughs> and I called Jenna and I said, Jenna, do you have a plan? And she goes, no, do I need one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of do, kind of do. And so, you know, it's just really being able to know how do you want to live? How do you, what do you want to accomplish in this space? And how do we make it happen? And 
it's it's art and science all kind of mixed in together. Well, I love that you shared that because there's there is a lot of technology out there now. You know, like uh, you know, there's products where you can have in wall water dispensers, right? So that limits you from having to buy a bunch of big cases of water bottles from the grocery store from Costco. Carry those, lift them in, and the disposable side as well. You don't have to dispose, so it's more sustainable because now it's at eye level and you can come in and fill up your water bottle or cup, right? And without carrying around the huge jugs either, like sparklets maybe, that come by your house. So I've seen that. I've seen, you know, instead of putting the microwave maybe in the island below where you're having to bend over all the time, you know, you put an eye level or same as the oven, you know, if you have a wall oven. And so a lot of these things come in. And it's funny you said that. You talked about just having a busy countertop, how the colors you know, can, if you have a pill on the counter or maybe a piece of silverware and they can't see it, you know, there, there's, uh, some predicaments there, you know? So I guess from your side, Lisa, how do you stay current? Because as you mentioned, being clipped now, being that you're a certified living in place specialist, you know, you have access to a lot more of the product that's out there. So how do you stay current on all the design options and products? Because there's so many companies and so many options out there. It's, well, with everything that's gone on in the world, a lot of webinars that uh, we've been able to take advantage of. <laughs> so um, staying on, you know, finding the companies that um, are offering CEUs, there's a ton out there. And when you look at like KBiz, um, so much of KBiz is going virtual because of what's going on in the world. It's a, the, the amount of webinars that are out there, Google it on YouTube. If you're trying to find a space that you're just really needing some ideas, you, Google can, I say God and Google can get you through life um, <laughs> because there, there's just so much out there. And then talking to people, you know, going and not being afraid to, to contact a builder or a designer. I think in the past from, I know from my perspective designers used to be very hold everything close to their chest and I'm really glad to see that it's opening up um, like having this conversation with you to be able to to discuss things because there are you know I may know somebody that you don't know and and you're needing some help here and oh I let me introduce you to Ben you know or let me introduce you over here and it's just amazing being open to having a conversation so much of what you can learn and I think just be curious you know what is out there what is out there because there is some really cool stuff and it is amazing to see what technology has done for our industry and it can only get better. Yeah. It's come a long way and it's exciting. I mean, I, I feel like in construction and design, we've been not so much design, but probably construction. We're always behind other markets and industries. Right. And for whatever the reason being, maybe it's because there's a lot of manual labor, you know, it's, it's not something coming off a of factory line, but still there's so much product innovation that, we need to be using an understanding from building science to just the end technology, whether touchless faucets, you know, you come in and put your hand under there. So if you're cooking with fish or chicken, instead of having to touch the faucet, you know, and turn it on, you can put your hand under and not wash it. And then the soap automatically dispenses. So it's more sanitary. I mean, these are little things that a lot of our clients are picking up on that they want. And fortunately, these manufacturers are a step ahead of that. Even before COVID, you know, a lot of the manufacturers are already doing a lot of this stuff because they were seeing whether it be living in place or just healthy living. I mean, they're trying to be one step ahead and it's up to us as builder designer to figure out how to integrate that in a cost-effective way for our client. Yeah. And, and it's staying up on those, on those technology improvements because I just was watching something, you know, earlier today, as a matter of fact, and, and the, the micro 
Um, if anybody's curious about micro appliances, go Google micro appliances. It is so amazing, you know, seeing a dishwasher in the sink that you've got the little sink here, your dishwasher, and it's all, and then you can cover it up and you've got a solid surface. I mean, it's so when you look at, at people that are creating tiny homes or else guest suites or having that where it's an all-inclusive type of place that you can have grandparents or you know, somebody come in and they have that privacy, there's, you can accomplish so much in a small amount of space, but it's, if you don't know what's out there, you're gonna, you're gonna feel like you're either stuck or you have to settle or you can't make those modifications. So from a homeowner's perspective, go talk. That's why professionals are so important. You know, go talk to a professional, even if you're just trying, if, even if you have to go talk to a designer for an hour at a time, just to see what they know. You know, find out who their resources are. How can how can they help you accomplish what you want to accomplish by pointing you in the direction? And then, you know, it's just it's so much about awareness and education. It's just, but you know, I don't know. I think sometimes people get so afraid that they think it's going to cost so much money, and it really doesn't need to. It's just getting getting yeah, that out. There. Just just getting out there and have that conversation. I, I love that you said that because going back to a point you made earlier in the conversation, you. Had, spoken about how social media is a connector, right? Where now you're able to, you know, connect certain individuals with other professionals and or manufacturers or product that's out there. And I've seen that as I follow certain designers and builders and architects around the country, some of the innovative things that they're doing or products that they're working with, right? It it sparks something, it sparks interest where now I'm, I become aware and, and think about, okay, well, how does that apply to us, to our firm, to our clients? You know, how can we make this work? And, and one of the things I love about social media as well is, you know, a lot of people ask me, well, Brad, well, how, how do you get the right client? Because, you know, the hardest thing is, well, how do you get a client that understands the value of a designer? How do you get the client that wants an energy efficient home or a home that's more structurally sound or whatever it may be? But what I found is the more that we have these conversations as you and I are doing and, and that they're listening, we're doing a YouTube channel, as you mentioned, or we're on Instagram doing stories. They're watching and they're seeing this and they're like, well, I want that. You know, I want Lisa to come in and think about my family situation and living in place and how is this going to factor and what are things I should be thinking about because there's value there. And the more that we're bringing value, people are going to pick up on that. They are. And, you know, and, and I do think, too, from a business perspective, because you know, we are in the business to make money. That was, you know, whether whatever our talent is there. But it's and it's learning how to price yourself and market yourself in that marketplace because not everybody is going to be the right fit for me and I won't be the right fit for everybody. Um, and so, but having being able to say, you know, if you talk to somebody and they they're maybe then right not the right fit financially, that then you have the resources to guide them on where to go. You know, don't just toss them to the curb because they can't afford you. It's it's knowing okay, well, if you can't afford this, then let me at least point you to go look at these resources online. Go do a little bit of homework if you want to DIY it. Um, if you, but there, I think there's, there's so much room for, for helping homeowners live better. And whether we're able to really work with them or not from a, a construction standpoint, and all the way to the end project, end of the project, um, you know, that's something that is really near and dear to my heart because my grandmother was one that would, she'd try to help anybody she could just to be a little bit happier in their space. And whether it was through a floral arrangement or a full full service design, 
it was it was amazing. But there is that delicate balance of business and profit and learning what that fine line is. But there's so many ways that we can still help people. And again, it's finding those resources and don't be afraid to share them. I think that's one of the best ways we could we could guide homeowners for sure. Well, I love that you share that because as as we learn to vet our clients or to put them in the right direction, right? We're providing value and it allows us to now work within that scope of work that is our runway, right? Where we're better suited for, you know, clients and, and having the knowledge or capability where if someone calls me and maybe they're doing, you know, a fireplace around or they're doing just some wood flooring, you know, I can say, look, I'm, I, I'm a general contractor. I'm not really the fit, but call this wood flooring company. They can come in and they can do it. You can go direct. You don't really need me for that, you know, or, or put them in touch with the remodel company or designer or draftsman, you know, and so having that network where I can refer to them, it allows me to vet clients better, you know, and more efficiently, and then allows me to now focus on the things that are in our wheelhouse, you know, that bring value to our clients. So, you know, I love that you shared that, Lisa. And and there's one thing I have to ask you, because I know that you had some experience with Ripley's Believe It or Not. So I have to hear this story on how, how that came about. <laughs> yeah, not many people could claim that. <laughs> not, no one I know. I, I, I haven't met anyone that can claim that. So, <laughs> well, 21 years ago, I had my second daughter. Um, my first is 23. And prior to Sydney being born, I had a miscarriage. So when I got pregnant with Sid, uh, they wanted to make sure I had, you know, the baby, she was developing fine. So I had a sonogram and I was so excited. I ran back to my office and made copies and mailed them out to all the family. And my aunt took that and blew it up and framed it for me. And of course she was only, I think she was just, we were, she was about 20, 20 weeks along. And so she just was this little tiny pea of a baby or maybe they did it at six weeks, little tiny pea of a baby. So it was really so abstract. And as an art major, I totally loved it. And I of course cried because I'm an emotional person. <laughs> so <laughs> when I got my second baby in, in, in the oven, uh, Samantha, I went and got her sonogram and framed it and and so friends started seeing that and my husband's like, I, you know, I think people really like these seeing their sonograms on the wall. So he challenged me to do it digitally. So I started manipulating sonograms uh, on the computer and I have a printer in Texas that does clay printing. And so we started having these portraits made of babies in utero before they took their first breath. And I had some articles that came out about me and this one company called me and said, we'd like to write an article. And I was so excited. And they said it was the sun. And I said, oh, fantastic. Well, where was it? Where will it be? And they said, well, we'll let you know when it comes out. So finally it came out and it was on this newsstands when those things still existed. <laughs> and, and I said, well, when I went to go get it, it was a tabloid. <laughs> <laughs> and so then I came out in, Lamita, the sister tabloid of it, in between the Virgin Mary and Walter Mercado guy who looked, who's like Liberace. And because of that, then that's how Ripley's picked it up. And so Ripley's, believe it or not, called and wanted to do a segment on us. And so they came to Texas and filmed me for my art. And uh, I, they, I ended up on this episode after um, this crazy story of this girl who fell out of a window and skewered her rear end on a fence oh. <laughs> and then i'm like how am how are they going to segue into that? into yours yeah into 
you know? Yeah. And so then that went to commercial and then there was a three-legged dog and I went, I bet I'm off to, I'm on after yeah. that three-legged dog. <laughs> and sure enough, there we were. <laughs> so That's amazing. A, a short stint of 15 seconds of fame. The little claim to fame. And so has that had an impact? I mean, that's sure. It's a good icebreaker, you know, as you meet with new clients. <laughs> yeah, I was on Ripley. So, <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> it's no, but it was really, it's, it's been, it, that was a beautiful part. I, I don't do as many portraits now, at, but it's to be able to touch a life in a way that was really beautiful to, to share that with parents and grandparents. So, well, yes. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. And so, <laughs> You know, how can our listeners find you? I know you're doing some amazing design work and I love what you're doing for the community, Lisa, and especially educating us, someone such as myself, on the importance of living in place. So uh, walk us through where our listeners can find you. Uh, they can go to my website at lisajwood.com and they'll find all my social media platforms there and then they can come over and watch the YouTube channels. I love support. So it uh, uh, we're gonna, and I'll be sharing more just, you know, decorative things there, but also a lot about living in place to try to help educate the market and hopefully make a difference to let people know it should be fun. You know, let's think proactively about building and modifying our homes and, and, uh, and not live in ugly ones. Yeah. Isn't that the truth? And are there any books you recommend, you know, for understanding living in place or just books you recommend overall that have helped you throughout your career? Well, living in place, anybody who's interested in living in place to either get certifi- uh, certification, whether you're in the trades or as a designer, go to living in, livinginplaceinstitute.org. And um, there is a bunch of information there uh, for, the, for the institute. So that's a really good resource. Um, two other books that I just have really, really taken to um, by Mike Michalowicz is Profit First and Fix, Six, Fix This Next. Um, those two were really fantastic, I thought. So big proponent of those. I love that. I love yeah, those. Profit First is a great one. Yeah, it is. Very good. Very enlightening, especially from you know being an art major. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, Lisa, you've been amazing. Thank you so much for making time and joining us today. Oh, thank you, Brad. This was fun. So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast. 